Machute Mate recognizes the traditional owners of the land on which we are recording. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and any indigenous elders of other communities who may be listening today. We stand in solidarity in their struggle towards the colonization and land back. Buena mi gente, Machete Mati here with a slightly different current events show today. I'm Leroy, down here in slightly warmer Melbourne, Australia, and as usual, Austin. What's going on, man? What up, what up? Back at it again. You already know. Yeah, you already know. Now, T is on special assignment. He's on a um, inter-podcast diplomatic mission. In his chair today, we welcome friend of the show and Machete Mati's special Philippines correspondent, Rob. What's going on, man? Welcome to the show. Hey, it's good to be here uh, for everyone at home. I'm Rob, um, like a Philippine-American organizer. Um, you won't miss too much of T because like him, I say fuck a lot. So you definitely won't miss out on that. And uh, I don't know, just just happy to be here, hang out with uh, two of my friends. Yeah, but what we can assure you is this is definitely an upgrade from T. So um... <laughs> I, w- I would never this. say that. I would never say that to T. That's why I, I said it. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, as usual, huge week in the region, more massacres in Colombia, keeping Austin's favorite Fidel quote as relevant as ever. In Chile, the National Truck Owners Union made good on their threat to strike in response to the government's perceived lack of action to protect against violent acts of terror. So the acts in question are largely Mapuche, so the indigenous people of Chile activists rising up against continued oppression and racism. The union, traditionally aligned with the right, did a similar action, a catalyst used as justification for the fascist coup against Allende in 73. So a similar action served as a precursor to the eventual coup against Allende back in 73. In Bolivia, shitty ventilator purchase practices by the coup government are coming to light, showcasing their attempt to set themselves up financially if and when they lose the election and escape to Miami. Because, of course, you know how I am. I like to talk about the Miami Industrial Complex. Um, and they're setting themselves up in the, in the event that they need to escape by helicopter, whatever the fuck. Um, but today, we're really going to be focusing on Philippines. Because our ideology, our love, everything we do here is international. And nothing for us is more relevant, more international than including the Philippines and what we do. Um, you know, me personally, you know, I have a foot in both worlds. My wife, my son... Filipino, so huge, huge and relevant for me. And as being Puerto Rican, we have to remember that the Philippines and Puerto Rico were two of the last Spanish colonies, and we share a lot of common history, a lot of common struggle. So again, nothing but love with the Filipino family. Um, so we have a few articles to cover, a few news um, things that Rob will go through, and, uh, and I'm sure it'll be a very, very colorful conversation because, like Rob just said, Philippines is a land of contrast. And, you know, as we talk about, we love a good contrast, we love a good contradiction, we love um, a good dialectic. Um, but again, because um, this is pretty much the um, colonial Puerto Rico fuckery hour, um, we can't have a conversation without talking about Puerto Rico. So the most relevant news out of Puerto Rico was the bill that was passed, or not passed, was introduced by Nidia Velasquez and AOC. So two Puerto Rican congresswomen in the Imperial Congress. Um, regarding a path forward towards actually deciding the status of Puerto Rico. And of course, because the PMP, so the pro-statehood party in Puerto Rico, needs to control everything through backroom deals, this is intolerable. Despite, by all accounts, w- within the context of like in, in imperialism, this would seem to be a more open, transparent process. But of course, the PMP cannot do anything without having their fingers on everything so they're fucking losing their mind and we'll get into that a bit um yeah austin you just literally said you have a bunch of thoughts oh Let's yes i do <laughs> okay so <sighs> so i feel like there's two big aspects of this that i definitely want to talk about and i don't want to go on too long here because obviously and you know puerto rico and this proposal in particular i know i sure as fuck could talk about for for at least uh, multiple hours. So two things. First of all, how we got here, right? So full disclosure, 
I myself was in Washington D.C. earlier this year with a a local uh, diaspora group, Boricos Unidos. Shout out, good people. Um, they are very much affiliated with MVC, the uh, Citizens Victory Movement, whatever the fuck you want to call it. The new, I guess, left wing populist party you could call it in Puerto Rico, right? It's not like big tent party, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Um, and uh, and. We visited multiple congressional offices, right? NBC's big thing when it comes to the status question, since if you're going to be a political party in Puerto Rico, you got to have some sort of position on the status, even if that position is to have no position, which some parties do do that. But <laughs> it's a position nonetheless. Um, their position is to do this uh, – to start these uh, constitutional assemblies, right? To have constitutional uh, convention sort of things, to gather information, have political debate and discussion on the island of how Puerto Rican, how Puerto Rico should proceed further on its political status, right? That is MVC's position. Now, the independentista in me would see that as merely equivocating on the actual issue, right? Rather than being full-on independence or full-on statehood or whatever the fuck, it's kind of this bullshitty in-between thing of, oh, well, you know, we're going to consult the people and there's going to be assemblies and, and blah, 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 right? Now, with all that said, honestly, and I think I've said this in the past on podcasts, I'm okay with this. I'm okay with this. I'm okay with the idea of doing constitutional assemblies to decide the status. Because fundamentally, you should be consulting the people, right? And if your way of consulting the people is just some bullshit-ass referendum, well, we're just running around in circles and getting fucking nowhere. Am I totally satisfied with this idea? No. But I do think it's a step in the right direction. I know that may be, that may be a hot take for, for, some, for some of my fellow independentistas. But I'm sorry. You have to have the people included in this process. I want independence more than anybody. But if your view of achieving independence is, okay, we're going to elect Juan Dao Mao and he's just going to declare independence, you just don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yep. With all due respect. <laughs> um, but uh, so to get to the MVC side of things, I'm not surprised that this happened and I am surprised that this happened. So I've been doing some work and, and I forgot to mention this to, even to you, Leroy. I've been doing some work on the diaspora side of the no campaign. The, the no to statehood vote, which is the, – there's a statehood vote going to happen in Puerto Rico in November. I've been working with some people on the island as far as the diaspora side of things. What they always talk, what they always talk to me about and ask me about as, oh, Mr. DSA diaspora guy, they always ask about AOC, obviously. They always say, so what's AOC? So we need AOC to make a position. She hasn't really said anything. We need AOC. AOC is progressive in the, in, in, in the United States. We have to get her to say something. Did AOC come out for full-blown independence? No. But to see AOC kind of shit on statehood, she kind of did in her tweets, and to not just that, but to actually attach her name to this proposal, this is, at least to my knowledge, the most outspoken she's been on the status ever. And I don't think that should be underestimated, personally. Right. Now, that's where – that's the part of me that's kind of surpri surprised to see this happen. The part of me that's not surprised – is to see her allying with Nidia Velasquez on this. Whatever Nidia was going to do, AOC was going to do it too. Whenever I have talked to people that have talked to AOC's office on the status, they always say the same thing, which is, we're listening to Nidia on this. Nidia, we're talking to Nidia on this, whatever Nidia does, blah, blah, blah. Nidia Velasquez being notoriously kind of like a, a status quo PPD kind of person, like popular Democratic Party, right? I'm not surprised with Puerto Rico coming into the national conversation in the last few years, right? Hurricane Maria, Donald Trump, all that bullshit. I'm not entirely surprised to see Nidia Velasquez come out with some sort of proposal to resolve yeah. the status. She should fucking be, right? That's the fucking least people, Puerto Ricans in the diaspora can do. And I do, I'm, I'm sorry, and this, like I said, this might be disappointing to some people who would rather see at least, you know, me. And I don't know, I don't know necessarily your take on this, Leroy. This might be disappointing to some people who would prefer to, to see me or us come out and say, oh, this is bullshit and this is, you know, this is why this is garbage and whatever and blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm totally sympathetic 
to the argument that, oh, well, what the fuck? This, you can, Congress is deciding the decision. What the fuck, man? You can't just have a law passed through Congress. It's a decision for Puerto Ricans, right? Why is this coming through the Congress first? Here's the issue. Anytime you – I mean Puerto Ricans don't. How many times has there been status referendums or whatever the fuck? They go nowhere. Why do they go nowhere? Because they're non-binding. That's the key here. If this process allows for a binding decision, I've, I have to say I'm personally in favor of it. And I don't know if that's a hot take, but I said it. No, nah, that's all good. Um, But just for a bit of context, everyone, a little bit. So that next quote-unquote referendum for status, which is which the United States already, the United States government already doesn't recognize, already came out and said, we're not going to fund this. We're not going to recognize the results anyway, um, was passed unilaterally by the PMP through back, backroom deals to take place on the same day as the election on November 3rd. So basically tying that status referendum to the actual election to ensure that they, you know, because again, we've talked about in the past, like, Everybody on the island knows that like the electoral politics in Puerto Rico is a fucking clusterfuck. That's it's shit. So that doesn't that doesn't necessarily um uh what's, it, what's reinforce any any desire to actually participate. So the only people going to participate are the people who are already backing the people in power. So the PPD are going to come out and eh, whatever independentistas. There's a growing because the people the pip the independentist party are actually doing a lot of more um. Grass, grassroots work than they have done in the past um so they might be we might be up for a surprise but still like the only people are going to come out for this are going to be the pmp um that's a bit of a background on that just quickly um with what aoc and navy velasquez are proposing it's like like you said also it's a constituent assembly essentially um where the people will elect representatives to this sort of constituent assembly constitutional assembly to decide um they'll decide through consensus and then whatever they decide they pass to the u.s congress and then the u.s congress has to pass it because it's the people um uh passing it um the reason why the pmp again like i said the, the pro-state party are against this was because they're losing they're losing control of the entire process. So the entire time leading up to this, they've had their finger on everything. They've been organizing everything. They've been jockeying all their chess pieces into place to make sure they get their way. And now here comes this curveball, and they're losing their mind because they're, they're saying that this whole process is going to take the, take it out of the hands of the of the people. There's going to be a lack of transparency. There's going to be a bunch of backroom deals when that's exactly what the fuck they've been doing up until now. Exactly. And I I have to say it again, you know. And I, here's the thing. I've been critical of AOC in the past. I don't I don't know if there's been a single podcast we've recorded where we talked about Puerto Rico and I didn't say or one of us didn't say something about well, what the fuck, man? Why aren't people like AOC in the diaspora doing more? This this once again, I I don't I don't know. Maybe I should pull up the tweet. I don't know. She literally said some shit along the lines of uh, um, I don't remember what it was, but she basically shot on statehood like that's something I honestly never thought I would see her do. To openly, and that's why the statehunters are so pissed. Richie Torres literally came out and was like, oh, what the fuck, blah, 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 right? Fuck to see Richie it, Torres. Yeah, fuck he's an Richie enemy of Torres. the podcast. <laughs> um, but yeah, to see AOC come out, somebody who has a powerful voice, who people on the island in the diaspora, who listen to and look to, you know, this is the least she should be doing. And I personally, I am appreciative of that. Because once again, this is the least she should be doing when it comes to Puerto Rico. At least... Look at the quote-unquote progressives on the island and support them, okay? Yeah. That's the least you should be. I'm not saying come out and say, oh, what we need is a, a fucking Cuba-style uh, communist uh, republic in Puerto Rico. Much as I would love to see her say some yeah, shit like that. I'm saying, I'm, I'm saying, I'm saying that, but – Exactly. <laughs> that may be the position of the podcast, but I here's the thing. I don't expect her to say some shit like that. The least she can do is fight the statehood narrative. And I think she's doing that, right? Yeah, totally. I totally on board, agree with everything both of y'all said. I just want to say that I get so confused sometimes when I hear y'all talking about Puerto Rico, just because to me, PNP means Philippine National Police. Yeah. Because that's constantly stuff that I'm talking about. But also, it sounds like fuck both of them. Yeah. PNP in Puerto Rico and in the Philippines. So, sorry, I just wanted to say that. Because I'm like, what? The PNP did what in Puerto Rico? Like, oh, no, 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 no. We're talking about the political party. Gotcha. No, yeah. We, we've discussed about moving toward a model of not using the acronyms and saying statehood party, status quo party, independence party. Just because that was probably like for people who don't like know the particulars. Right. I think that's probably helpful. 
Um, we're still trying to get the the hang of that though. Um, but actually, Rob, I'm I'm interested in your thoughts on everything, man. As sort of like as an outsider, and you've known us long enough. You know where our positions are. You follow us. You know you're ver- pretty well informed. I, I imagine. Like, what are your thoughts on everything? Yeah, no, totally. And the thing is, like, when you sent me the article that you're talking about to sort of review before we did this, like, it was a very like this the thing that like uh, AOC and Velasquez were sort of uh. uh proposing seems very like normal and like almost like like just a thing that makes sense and the pnp in every instance and all their supporters like richie torres and everything just are filling their diapers over this because they're not in control of it anymore exactly. you know just exactly i'm just seconding exactly what you said because uh at that point that's really the only thing because they're saying like oh no no, no we, we need a, a true like they're like their way of doing it is wrong and our way of doing it is correct where really they're not even saying like straight up independence. They're just calling for, you know, a more to get the Puerto Rican people and Puerto Rican electorate more involved in the process. So they have a say in it, you know. Exactly, exactly. And the reason they're filling their diapers is because now we've got one of the heavy hitters on our side. And they were happy when that wasn't the case. They were happy when AOC, when Nitty was, oh, you know, whatever. When AOC, oh, Puerto Rico, blah, 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 right? To see them come out with, in island politics, if somebody came out with this sort of proposal on the island, this is an anti-statehood position. It would be interpreted as such, right? And that's why they have done that. So I think that does count for something. And me personally, real quick, I, like whenever I think about this as an independentista, right, as somebody who believes in Puerto Rican independence, whenever I think about this process in my head, Right. I always think, okay, how can we have an actual decision um, by the Puerto Rican people? Right. The Puerto Rican independence movement has been beaten back by force time and time again. Just an up or down vote is inherently unfair because of that. Right. Because of how much the fingers have been tipped on the scales of the statehood party. So I always made the comparison of like a a late uh, 80s Chile Pinochet style vote. Right. Equal media time to both sides, equal education resources, whatever the fuck, to both sides. And if this sort of process were to work toward that sort of model, where it was guaranteed that both sides or every fucking – every side, I should say, has equal resources, equal media time, equal whatever the fuck, I think that's important, right? Because you do need to include the people in this process. And and there are – education, man. You know, I, I talk to Puerto Ricans all the time, and Leroy, you, you know, being from the island, you can probably speak to this a little bit more. Education in Puerto Rico, it's, oh, the United States, they saved us, and oh, my God, this beautiful stuff. We got to fight that, right? How can you expect average people in Puerto Rico who have been brainwashed their whole fucking lives to just immediately support statehood? We need to be doing more education campaigns. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, just quick, I like that you brought up the um, the Chile reference because the logos of the yes or no or see or no reflect exactly that Pinochet vote. Like, I don't know if they did it on purpose, but the um, the yes is exactly Pinochet's yes. You like to stay in power and the no is like, no, get him out. Um, but I think you said it best when you said the this proposal is an anti-state, is, is being perceived as an anti-statehood position because we have to remember like the PMP, the pro-statehood party has been essentially the stewards of power on the island since their inception back in the 60s, um, which is why my my conspiracy theory is that this is all backed by the US, that Karen Stick approach, was keep funding it. It's never going to happen, but we'll keep funding these guys to make allow them to do, um to help them do what we want them to do. Um, so any perceived threat to that, hege- that, that hegemony um, it's, 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 it's intolerable. It's intolerable. So, um, brilliantly said, but, um, yeah, Rob quickly. Well, I was just going to say like the U S has done way more. This would be a very milk toast intervention by U S standards. Exactly. So I don't think of it much as a conspiracy theory per se, just like <laughs> makes sense. Yeah. But, um, when it comes to like island consciousness, that is a huge like oh you know what I mean oh we we you know we um individually we believe this shit when it's we we know it's bullshit, but um we'll leave it there because we'll be talking about Puerto Rico forever. So um now we'll move on to a special section that we're going to be covering. So we'll we'll be talking about a bunch of Filipino news. That's what we have Rob on to um do us the honor of talking about all this stuff. So again Philippines, if you know anything about the history and recent history, um you know it's. It's a land of colonialism, neo-imperialism. It's it's Puerto Rico back like frontward and backward, inside and out. It's to the nth degree. The things with the Philippines, what we see is a lot of the bullshit we see in Puerto Rico, but as an independent nation. So that 
show showcases something that I always talk about that independence doesn't always mean sovereignty, right? And Phil- the Philippines is independent, but how sovereign are they actually? Um, we'll be talking about all that stuff as well. Um, but before I send it over to Rob, just quickly, Rob, Duterte, good or bad? I just want, I just want to clarify that because there's some confusion out there. Oh yeah, bad. 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 Okay, just um, wanted, wanted wanted to make sure. Man. Yeah, I, I think what what I have to say about because I I think what I've been seeing on uh, folks on Twitter lately is a lot of very online, mostly like Marxist-Leninist aligned people saying that Duterte is an anti-imperialist because he's warming relations with China and blah blah blah, and like the Communist Party of the Philippines is like a U.S. CIA psyop because whatever, and like. This is the way, like, I'll, I'll break it down for you, Barney style, because you're too fucking stupid to understand this, apparently. <laughs> for all you people out there on Twitter, like, the the communist insurgency in the Philippines, and I'm, I'm explaining this very matter-of-factly, you know, not trying to get myself arrested, because I'll go into the anti-terror law that was just passed recently and what that means for us. But, yeah, so, like, about over 50 years, there's been a communist insurgency being fought in the Philippines, Right against the government that has been killing, imprisoning, and torturing their people. It's been going back and forth for over 50 years. There's been peace talks on and off the whole time, right? And now all of these very online Marxist-Leninist people are trying to claim that the Communist Party of the Philippines is now a CIA PSYOP because the president in charge happens to be warming up to China now, which is just, which is kind, which is kind of different from what former Philippine presidents have done, but their whole idea is, well, the Communist Party of the Philippines should just lay down their arms and stop fighting and war's over, struggles over. And like, no, that's not how that's not how that works. Um, and if you expected them to do that just because he's the president, and, and to be fair, like, you know, like Duterte is a monster in like many different unique ways, but also he is again like a symptom of like the contradictions that exist in the Philippines, both, you know, neocolonialism, everything like that. Um, yeah, I was going to say on that quickly, um, Duterte is a perfect example that that, that saying like the, the enemy of my enemy is my friend is not always true, right? Just because the United States is like, oh, this guy's a fuck shit doesn't mean Duterte is good. He's still a very bad fucking person. Yeah, yeah. And I think like, it's definitely like like a just like an individual power play thing like the the sort of like the the neoliberal forces and the fascist forces in the Philippines are gonna outlast his presidency you know whether he gets overthrown or if he finishes his term or whatever like he's he's not gonna be there forever and for example, like the armed forces of the Philippines, the AFP, the Philippine National Police, the PNP, many Philippine uh, senators, congresspeople, um, higher ups in the government are very much pro-U.S., right? Like and even like if, if, you know, you're some like online person who's creaming your pants at the thought of uh, the Philippines becoming best friends with China, that stuff is going to evaporate as soon as, soon as uh, there's a different person uh, in the seat of power. Or like whenever the because you know there's a lot of a lot of generals and people in the AFP you know train in the United States. Um, there is an office in the Philippines like the Joint United States Military Assistance Group, which functions as like a mini Pentagon in the Philippines. This exists in other countries too. It's not just the Philippines, but they're very strong there. Where you know American military personnel are constantly there. Um, yeah, I think like a lot of them jumped jumped at the shot just because like. Duterte said that they were going to cancel one war games exercise with uh, with the United States. Also neglecting the fact that um, Duterte is the first president under which we were, for the first time, the Philippines had joint military exercises with the IDF. Like that's never happened before in the country's history. That happened in 2018. Like that was the first time. It's like, oh yeah, anti-imperialist hero. Cool. You know, sent Philippine soldiers to Israel to learn how they fight Palestinians so that they could do it in the Philippines. Like, it's incredible, incredible. Um, yeah, man. Um, it's once you get into the what's going on in the Philippines, it's it's absolutely absurd. Um, why don't you talk a little bit about um the the because you sent through the articles about the um the murder of the activists and how that sort of ties together and how that ties into that the famous um anti junk bill. Yeah, yeah. So what's been going on lately? So throughout 
President Duterte's administration. I mean, there were there were some genuine hopes at the beginning when he was first elected, thinking that, you know, there were going to be renewed peace talks between the government and the National Democratic Front of the Philippines, which is like a, you know, a coalition of revolutionary forces in the Philippines, including the Communist Party, but other groups. Um, but sort of those peace talks sort of fell apart. Yeah. Um, one of their stipulations was that, like, they didn't want it to be something like another rebel group just sort of laying down their arms and integrating to society. They had like a long list of demands that they said would have to be met. And their logic behind it was like, in order for us to stop fighting, like these core demands of the Filipino people need to be met. And a lot of them were like genuine agrarian land reform because there's a lot of there's a large landless peasantry in the Philippines, um, you know, protections for workers, protections for LGBTQ people. Um, protections for indigenous groups in the Philippines. So they had these long lists of demands. The government did not bow to them. They didn't meet them halfway. So peace talks fell through. Um, and then sort of renewed fighting happened between the government and insurgents. And they started fighting again. Um, now with that, you know, fast forward to this year, uh, we have a new law in the books. A lot of people have already died um, through the history of this insurgency, but especially during Duterte's administration. Because, um, you know, he had his escalating drug war that he used as an excuse to kill people. You know, they're big fans of using drop guns and Philippine police and vigilante groups, you know, planting drugs on people. They do that all the time. Um, but this year they passed an anti-terror law on July 3rd. Duterte signed it, went in effect on July 18th, um, allowing for like warrantless and chargeless detainment of people suspected of being terrorists for up to 24 days. Um, punishing those acts for up to 12 years. And that includes, um, specifically in the language of it, um, proclamations, speeches, social media calls that were seen as like, and I'm doing quotes with my hands, incitement to terror, right? So that went into effect on July 18th. And, uh, you know, since then, we've had like two, like people have died here and there in the countryside, but two very high profile killings. One of them was a uh, a longtime uh, organizer, Randy Echanis, he was 72 years old. Um, he was actually one of the peace talks negotiators between the government and the National Democratic Front of the Philippines. Um, he's actually the fourth peace talk negotiator to be killed so far. Um, so he was murdered in his home. Uh, and it was, I mean, like fast forward, maybe 30 seconds for a content warning. I think he was he was stabbed multiple times in his home and bludgeoned over the head till he died. This like 72 year old man. Um, the police made it so the family wouldn't have access to the body for a while. There's a lot of discrepancies between what the police, the state coroner said and what an independent coroner said about what happened to the body. Um, and then on the day of his funeral, like they had a massive funeral turnout for him, you know, red flags, hammers and sickles everywhere. People were burying him, giving him highest revolutionary honors on the day of his funeral. Um, an activist was killed. Um, Zara Alvarez, um, uh, she was in her late 30s, I think she was 38, 39, and she was a, a member of Carapatan, which is a, a human rights advocacy group. Um, she worked a lot with, you know, um, as a peasant organizer, and she was a volunteer paralegal for them. And uh, she was shot um, several times in the early morning hours in August. Uh, so um, these two people were killed. I know that uh, Carapatan, the organization that you worked for, received a threat with like a hit list from an anonymous caller and Zara was on the list along with other members of Karapatan saying like, you know, you're next essentially. Um, I mean, and this is sort of like the two of them had received harassment for a long time, both covertly through like anonymous vigilantes, but also overtly by like pro Duterte, um, different groups that, you know, it's very common in the Philippines to like go on the street and see like a list of quote unquote, like communist insurgents. And it doesn't matter if they're like, communists or just like vaguely left wing or progressive or liberal like they just take people's picture and they put it out like on the street like alert this communist lives on your street and uh you know just wait for something to happen this happens like all the time with different activists you can just look it up online these really you know menacing threats and then people end up dead and the government claims like oh well you know we'll look into it uh, i don't know who could have possibly done that <laughs> oh jesus yeah, you know, obviously I don't want to make this about Latin America since we're talking about the Philippines. Please go ahead. But the par <laughs> parallels. This reminds me so much of Colombia. Even yeah. when I was reading the articles, that was the first thing that came to my head. 
you know, communist insurgency. In, in the case of the FARC, they did go for a peace deal, right? And look what's happened. FARC members die every fucking day. The literal peace negotiators, just like you said, they get killed every day in Colombia. Jesus Santrich, one of the main like peace negotiator people, got the fuck beat out of him after getting arrested, right? Um, and what happened? He was forced to go back underground. You know, in, indiscriminate political killings, you know, all throughout Colombia. So, so very similar. It's, 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 it's pretty amazing. And I think on a broader note, you know, the reason that – one of the reasons that to me all of this is so important, especially for people in the United States, when I think of countries that the left in the United States needs to be doing a better job of – offering solidarity and raising awareness for the philippines is damn near at the top of that list the people like i love like thinking back to like social studies class or whatever the fuck you talk maybe you talk about like the philippine american war and then it's dropped and nobody talks about how the philippines was a colony deep into the 20th century right how the philippines to today just like you were saying is so deeply within that u.s sphere of influence like this idea that the u.s didn't have colonies that's laughable to us three right that's laughable to us three Right. That that notion needs to be destroyed. Right. And I think people need to recognize that, that that U.S. influence in in the Philippines or in Puerto Rico is is so damn deep. You know, the the true this is true. Like, <laughs> obviously, in the case of Puerto Rico, it's not even neo imperialism. It's literal imperialism. In some ways, it's the same case in the Philippines. Right. Like, I love uh, I remember I remember reading somewhere that one of the reasons or one of the big reasons that uh the call center industry is so big in the philippines aside from obviously fucked up reasons like cheap labor right is because you know filipinos are are thought to be able to speak american english a little bit better than you know south asians or other places yeah exactly or other places where call centers might be it's those things those different those things that that uh that i don't know what the fuck the phrase i'm looking for like i don't know cultural imperialism or whatever the fuck that is so deep right yeah, definitely. Because like, like, like what you said with the English thing, like, it's 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 incentivized by the government. Like ever since they instituted their sort of labor export policy, right? Because it's not just with the United States. Like having someone who speaks English makes a very marketable like domestic worker. Like you know, like Hong Kongers love hiring uh, Filipina maids because they can teach their kids English as they're growing up. You know, they love uh, hiring them in Saudi Arabia, right? Um, and they send the money home. Like the government does so much shit where they're talking about like, oh, the OFWs, overseas Filipino workers, they, they're like the heroes, the modern day heroes are keeping our economy going. At the same time, I saw like yesterday, there was a big repatriation of 73 bodies of Filipino overseas workers who died in Saudi Arabia yeah. that who, who just had their bodies returned yesterday, who had died over the course of uh, a long period of time. And it's like their bodies are literally greasing the wheels of this economy this like zombie economy that's still reeling from like, we're still paying off loans from the Marcos era that he took out from the IMF and World Bank. You know, like we're, we're still paying off these crazy debts from back during the 70s and then we're just incurring more. And, you know, what are we going to do? We're just going to send more Filipinos overseas, rip them from their families, send money home, you know. Ugh, it's just, it's such a mess. And like, like with that and like these OFWs get screwed over, especially during COVID because a lot of them lost their jobs because a lot of them work in the hospitality industry. Like a lot of the OFWs in the States right now are working in the hotel industry and they ended up like out of work. Um, the government was like, we can't pay to send you home. You're going to have to find your own way home. You're kind of stuck in the States. Um, for a while, they, they also got extorted out of a lot of money. Like because so there was a the government had this thing like when you went overseas to be a Philipp uh, an overseas worker, you had to pay 3% of your salary like as an insurance premium to PhilHealth, which was like a nationally like endorsed um, insurance company. But they didn't actually do anything because if you were in another country, say Canada, Canada is going to pay for your health insurance costs. PhilHealth isn't going to do shit for you. They're not going to do shit for you in the United, United States. You're kind of just fucked if you get sick in the United States. But like any other country where they have health care, like a lot of OFWs would go to Germany and stuff. The German government's going to take care of your health care. So why are they paying this 3% premium to PhilHealth? Well, it turns out that they embezzled 15 billion pesos, which is about like $300 million. And of course, the CEO of PhilHealth was a retired general. Oh, like, look at that. Like I could have... <laughs> Like I could have written this in my sleep and it would have come true. He would like this. It's so laughable. And also this general is just funny as hell. Cause he's like, 
I was reading his like his like military career. He's one of those people who like came up as like a junior officer under Marcos, and then he was like part of like the anti-Marcos coup within the military, and then he like you know just kind of like you know just moved his way like you know squirmed his way throughout the government to get this like high-ranking position for Phil Health so that he could line his pockets with the money being made from like poor people. Like, people go overseas as OFWs because they have no money, right? And, like, the government sort of incentivizes this. For a while, it was almost like uh, in a lot of, like, high schools and secondary school, your last two years, like, your what would be your junior, senior year, was just learning vocational training because they knew you were going to go overseas to be an overseas worker. Yeah, exactly right. Um, And what we need to remember as well is, like, a lot of that, the overseas workers in that whole industry – was systematically imposed by both the U.S. and the Philippines, right? Like, like look at look at the nursing industry. We talk about like all you know, stereotype is the Filipino women are, are nurses, but that was sort of bred into the consciousness of Filipinos in the island. It goes, oh, you want money? You will teach you English. We'll set you up with a job. So you have an entire generation of of, of Filipinos learning how to be a nurse. They can go overseas to send remittance back to the Philippines. Um, I don't remember the exact same number. Um, Rob, you probably know. Um, remittance counts accounts for like. 10 or 15 percent of like national gdp or whatever so ending that would essentially collapse the filipino like um economy yeah definitely yeah it's it's about 10 it's probably it gets bigger like all the time it's just keeping yeah keeping the economy afloat and again like if we're talking about the philippine economy or like what things it funds like the government doesn't do any people focused things right uh, it's just like increased defense spending, counterinsurgency stuff. Um, recently, I think it was in May, there was a big like $2 billion arms deal that the Philippines did from like American-based yeah. defense contractors. They bought a fleet of Apache helicopters and munitions for it. Um, meanwhile, I think the biggest thing that made people mad about that was that the Philippines, I think number two to Malaysia, but since surpassed them, has the worst COVID um, uh, impact in Southeast Asia. In the meantime, the government's priority was, well, we got to allocate $2 billion to buy attack helicopters to fight communists. Like, and that's where their spending priorities were. Sounds pretty American to me. Yeah. There was a, there was a big push, like, from, you know, obviously the, the arms deal went through. But, I mean, that's kind of, like, why there's a lot of organizing here. A lot of uh, Phil-Am orgs here in the States are trying to put through this thing called, like, the PHRA, the Philippine Human Rights Act, which, yep. you know, I... I, I encourage people to look into it. It's like a proposal being put forward to Congress that <clears throat> we're being very intentional about it to try and get it to actually pass um, in order to end U.S. military support to the Philippines. And we say support, but really it's just interference and intervention. In addition to multiple arms deals, training exercises, I think the U.S. gives like $200 million annually in direct aid to the Philippine military. Um, we also have different like agreements like the like the visiting forces agreement which was you know signed during like the war on terror to allow like u.s forces to do you know uh, military operations in the philippines allow them freedom of movement um you know other sorts of deals like that and really it just equates to both like imperials violence and also like u.s service members abusing locals yeah. like they tend to do in every country they're in you know like, like the one high profile case of that U.S. Marine who murdered uh, a trans-Filipino woman, Jennifer Laude. Um, God, that was that was such a mess too because um, when he got sentenced to jail for that, they they like they made the case saying essentially that sending him to a Philippine prison would be inhumane. Like we couldn't put him in Gen Pop with the rest of the Philippine prison population. And I'm not trying to advocate advocate for the carceral carceral state, but they like essentially made him a custom trailer, like air conditioned trailer on a Philippine military base where he could chill out because they said like he can't eat the they, they, they said he can't eat the food in Philippine prisons. It's like inhumane and not fit for consumption and it's too hot. So. Oh no! Like so, then he gets his own little like 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 people called it a he gets his own little golden cage on a Philippine military base. It's insane, but yeah, I, I do encourage folks to look up the Phil, the PHRA Philippine Human Rights Act. I think uh, different orgs have endorsed it. A lot of DSA chapters have endorsed it. It's something that I think is really good and would be a positive development. Hopefully, there'll be more reporting on it later when it gets put forward. Yeah, it's just ridiculous. Um, that sort of double standards like that. 
they're admitting to themselves that like, yeah, you know, we treat our own people like shit. We need to treat these criminals from somewhere else better than we would ever treat ourselves. Ridiculous. Anyway, let's bring it back a little bit to um, the whole culture of extrajudicial murders by, by the state, right? Because it's been going on for years, for decades, forever. Um, Rob, as you know, like my mother-in-law is from Marawi. So for those of you who aren't familiar, Marawi is sort of a cultural island city in the middle of Mindanao, so in the south. That's actually, it's called the Islamic city of, of um, Marawi. So it's a little Islamic island in the middle of, of, of uh, Mindanao. Historically been a base for um, some of the Islamic insurgency groups. So a long history of martial law um, imposed by the state, basically using that concept of martial law to murder whoever the hell they want. Um, and, it's, and it's interesting because like, we went to the Philippines as a family in 2013. Um, and I was joking around with my mother, like, oh, I would love to see where you're from and blah, blah, blah. She's like, oh, no, because if they see you, they'll kidnap you. I'm like, what do you mean? Oh, you're obviously not Filipino. That means you have money and they will kidnap you. I started laughing. He goes, no, no, you don't understand. Like, they they, they, they will. And she wasn't very clear on who would do the kidnapping, if it was the state and to blame it on the quote-unquote insurgents or if it was the actual insurgents themselves. Um, but yeah, Rob, can you just talk a little bit about that? Talk about what, being kidnapped? About, about being kidnapped, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, I, there, there's definitely, like, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of, like, a lot of that that goes on. I mean, people are poor and desperate in a country, but then at the same time, you're right. Like, for example, for me, um, like, I was supposed to go back. I, obviously, I can't because of COVID, but I was supposed to go in August for this summit on, like, uh, indigenous peoples of the Philippines and their response to climate change, um, which I was really excited to go to, but my parents were like, they were like, you're probably on a list right now somewhere. Um, like, even when we do actions here in the States, there's like a, as part of this thing called the Coplanca Panatagan, which is like the whole of nation approach to uh, counterinsurgency. Part of that is there's like a cooperation agreement between the U.S. and the Philippines where like Philippine national police agents and like security forces are allowed to operate within the United States and sort of like, not like, arrest people but like keep tabs on people that they think are supporting um you know in so supporting what they claim is an insurgency in the philippines right um like for all i'm saying like i'm i'm, I'm explaining matter of factly what's going on in the philippines but what i want is i just want the killings to stop right and that's a lot of what my advocacy is around so you know we have a lot of like when we do actions in dc which is near where i live um like, you know, there's always like security people taking our pictures and things like that. You know, I I'm pretty outspoken on Twitter and other social media platforms. And my parents are just like very concerned. They're like, you know, don't let they, they don't want me to go back home, essentially, um, even though like I am determined to go back home at some point um, to at least like, you know, meet people and like learn more about the struggle and like just learn from, you know, just being back in the country for a little bit because it's been so long. I haven't been back. Um, yeah, I mean, that's def definitely like a reality, uh, to be dealt with, but like, it's, it's, there's a lot of poor, desperate people and like people are even more out of work because of COVID, you know, um, they didn't get any support from the government during the COVID outbreak, uh, like little to none, uh, you know, people, you know, there are a lot of people who ended up with no jobs, like no food essentially they didn't have their shit together like vietnam giving out food to people you know uh you know it's just it's just just a mess uh they they essentially their their whole covid response was a military lockdown they had a bunch of soldiers like enforcing covid restrictions and they didn't know how to do it they yeah. they were arresting mutual aid groups who were handing out food to out of work construction workers like that was how they enforced the covid restrictions it was insane yeah incredible um, like when I think about it, it's for those of you who haven't been to the Philippines, like if you want to see, like, first of all, Philippines is a beautiful country. The countryside is amazing. The, the sites are amazing. But if you want to see like destitution, desperate destitution, I don't know why you would want to see that, but it's, that's definitely something that exists there. And one thing that really it's mind blowing. It's like that stereotype again, bringing it back to like the uh, overseas workers and like the stereotype of Filipinos being the ideal, you know, immigrant and this and that, whatever. You see a lot of that there as well. So you go to shops, there's a, a thousand people working. Hello, sir. Hello, ma'am. They follow you around. Everything like it's a very 
I mean, and I and I hate to phrase it this way, but it's a it they've they've fostered this culture of like subservient to others, to capital, to wh- white people, to Westerners, to non-Filipinos, down to skin whitening, down to how they view people from not Manila and then not Manila, not Cebu, from the bigger cities. You know what I mean? So it's it's quite it's quite amazing to look at that and tie it to imperial projects around the world. It's it's quite it's quite amazing. And for those of you who are linguistics nerds like me, Philippines is a, is a fascinating place. Fascinating place. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would definitely love to go to the Philippines one day. That is, uh, once again, very high up on my list since Puerto Ricans and Filipinos are brothers, right? You know, same, uh, di- okay, different colored flags, but same, like, uh, flag structure. Is that a phrase? Um, I a lot of the same DNA out- in the countries. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was going to say, I once read that the flags were also similar to the way uh, the Cuban uh, and Puerto Rican ones are similar, but I don't know, that might be bullshit. And cut in the... Uh, Catalonia's one as well. They're all based on the same one. Yeah, 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 yeah. I was going to say, I read that. Is that actually true? Like, do we know that? Anyway. <laughs> Sounds cool, so I'm going to choose to believe it. Anyway, so so what about this third article? I know you sent us a, a third one that I was I have been struggling to wrap my brain around this since I read it. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go into uh, go into that one a little bit. Yeah, so to highlight the, the sort of hypocrisy of like the enforcement of the anti-terror law, there was sort of like a sort of like groups of uh, people who are like pro Duterte who have been calling for what they call like RevGov because, you know, everything is a portmanteau in the Philippines, um, calling for a pro Duterte, essentially like like a self-coup, like an auto-coup, where they would suspend the government until December 31st, 2021, and have Duterte be the supreme leader of the Philippines until that day. And there was like a group of like 300 people who had like a Zoom webinar essentially calling for this coup um, or RevGov or whatever. And I, I sent them like there's there's a uh, there, there was an interview with a general who they were asking, like, is this a violation of the anti-terror? Yeah, he his they asked him, is this a violation of the anti-terror law that was just signed in? He said, no, 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 they're just exercising their free speech. And then the reporter says, well, what if they said, like, what if it was one of the other groups, right? And they were like, well, they're trying to overthrow the president. That's different. This is pro the president, so it's okay. The other one is terrorism. This one is not, right? Um, I don't know. The thing is, like, a lot of the the coup, like, this sort of, like, RevGov supporters, the big grand program that they want to accomplish is, like, there's a, there's a Filipino, like, federalist movement where they want to model their system of government on the United States where they want to weaken the federal government and make like different states like that have more power. But part of the the whole thing that they want to do that is they want to make it so that um, the states are more responsible for their own revenue. Um, And this is making it so that, for example, the national capital region where Manila is, they'll be raking in money. And then you have far flung provinces who will receive way less funding from the government from taxes now what this reminds me a little bit of is italy now i have a little bit of an italian background but like northern italians who will uh put out racist stereotypes of oh it's the rich north always subsidizing the poor backward south what we need is more northern autonomy fuck the poor backward southerners um so that definitely kind of uh echoes that uh, a little bit to me but yeah i gotta ask like uh real quick i gotta ask um like could you see some shit like this actually going down, like a literal like uh, self coup to where Duterte's like, okay, fuck it, we're <laughs> we're uh, getting rid of all this other shit, and I'm the official dictator. Who gives a fuck? I I think that there's there's a chance that you know for so for now, both the armed forces of the Philippines and Duterte himself said no. They like they they said we're not doing this right now, at least for now. I could see it happening. Because we have historical precedent for it, right? We have like Ferdinand Marcos, right? We have um, the martial law period, which is we're in very similar circumstances now, just not in name, right? Uh, So I could definitely see him at least trying. I mean, we're kind of uh, like to me, like we're approaching like those death throes of like fascism because like the forces that are critical of Duterte are like broadening. Right. They're like there are there were times within Duterte's administration where he was very popular. 
right? And even to like a certain degree, he is popular with certain sectors of the country, but his critics are getting louder and more numerous every day, and it's broadening to different sectors of society. It's not just the left, right? Like when you had the anti-terror law pass, like you had a lot of people coming out against it, like from, you know, obviously the left, but then you had like a lot of like your normie liberals, like centrist, a lot of like clergy came out and denounced it. And this is funny, like a lot of clergy came out and denounced it. And then the leaders of the Bangsamoro Autonomous Muslim region denounced it. And then um like, like the ecumenical council of like mainline Protestants of the Philippines, like denounced it, which is if you were ever able to get like Filipino Catholics, Muslims and Protestants to agree on something like, you know, you've gone a little too far. Right. Um. Anyway. Yeah. And but then I just wanted to add one more thing was uh, as well as this federalist movement. Another thing they wanted to accomplish within that time is like what we call cha-cha, which is like charter change. And it's a uh, a change to the Constitution as written to uh, they want to eliminate the current term limits on the presidency. Now, I'm not normally like I'm not normally a big like term limits guy because I think sometimes like there there's a level to which like someone could just be elected because they're doing a good job and like, you know, they'll reelect them. But in this case, in the Philippines, where I think it's something like I was reading an article where like 75 percent of Filipino politicians like in Congress, Senate, every position, about 75 percent of them belong to a political dynasty in some form or fashion, like like a family that has multiple members of their family who are just career politicians. Right. So that kind of charter change would be disastrous because you would just have forever like like landed nobility essentially in charge of the country. Yeah, uh, yeah. Term limits is definitely uh, a whole uh, <laughs> a discussion that we've touched upon a little bit um, in the past uh, on the podcast. <laughs> I guess in the Venezuelan and Bolivian context, but that's uh, a whole other thing. Uh, I, you know, I find it so fascinating how you mentioned the uh, like the federalization and stuff like that. And once again, you know, it reminds me of conservatives even in the United States, right? You know, trying to 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 or not even in the United States, they do this all across the world, right? Trying to weaken the federal government or, or using that rhetoric when you know what the fuck they're really trying to do. But yeah. a, another question I, I had, um, you mentioned how the the Catholics and the Protestants and even the Muslims were kind of pissed off about that. About that. Um, what is Duterte's base? Does he have a base among any like specific like religious or ethnic groups or whatever the fuck or is it just i don't know is it just like fueled on like pure right wing or populism or whatever like how how the fuck would you describe his base well definitely like uh there's definitely like a lot of loyalty from his hometown like in the area around davao there's a lot of support there because like uh in terms of there were some things that he did during his tenure as mayor which you know were definitely like foreshadowing of the bad things that he would do later but there, there's just some like things that you know he cleaned up for people like i think for the first time they had like fire engines for the first time in davao under his tenure as mayor um but yeah i think like there's definitely like uh sections of philippine society who just like i i guess like in, in i hate how everyone keeps saying like who's he, he's like the philippines trump which is it's that's a stupid thing I'm sick of hearing, but there's a certain appeal to him in, in ways like that where I don't know, like it, the way he carries himself as a president, because for the history of the Filipino presidents, like they're very blatantly like neoliberal puppets of the United States, um, even Marcos, like who was who, who was like a fascist dictator. He was very much like um obviously like a pro us guy he was like best friends with reagan uh nancy and ronald reagan would have like lavish parties at malacan young palace when he was in power but like part of i think duterte's appeal is the way he sort of acts well like like, like it's just that attitude the machismo that he brings sort of like he acts like your tito who doesn't know how to control himself um that appeals to some people like right-wing elements in the philippines i know for me for example like I've done like Filipino martial arts a lot and sort of like within the Filipino martial arts community, he's very popular because it's, you know, a bunch of dudes, both Filipino and non-Filipino people who have ties. Usually they got into it because of like the military or police force or whatever the fuck. And 
they just love Duterte because he's just a tough dude who at least acts tough on TV. Um, and they're just so into that sort of image, you know, and that's sort of what I see. I was going to say my two cents on his base are um, Filipino boomers because um, my in-laws absolutely love him, love him. My freaking father-in-law, like we had this conversation and he was saying how like there's no more corruption in the Philippines because Duterte got rid of corruption. Like he's, he just kind of came in and, and ended it. That like everything that's happening um, with like the extrajudicial murders of like quote unquote drug dealers are deserving and is good because he's cleaning up the Philippines where everything is exponentially worse if that's even possible. Um, but yeah, it's, 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 it's quite incredible. It's, it's quite incredible situation over there. Real quick, because I can't help myself. Um, this reminds me of El Salvador now. Bukele, <laughs> right? I am against corruption. Ah, you see, it was both the left and the right. Fuck them both. I can fix this shit, right? And oh, the fucking, the Maras and the drug dealers. Fuck them. I'm going to get rid of all of them. And he's extremely fucking popular because of that bullshit rhetoric. We know it's bullshit, right? But, to, you know, the average apolitical person, it's music to their fucking ears, right? I, I, I can understand that, right? But fuck them both, regardless. Yeah, absolutely. Um, But yeah, I think um, with that said, we'll probably wrap it up there. Been an awesome uh, conversation. Rob, if you want people to know one thing about the Philippines or one thing to keep in mind, what would you what would you uh, tell people? I mean, w- without having like a whole I know a lot of this was like Rob talks about the Philippines a lot, but uh, I don't know. I think that folks, if you want to read up more on things like I want people to learn more, just read more. There's a couple of places you could go, like www.ebon.org, like I-B-O-N.org, which is like the Ebon Foundation. They do a lot of good research work into human rights issues. Um, like I mentioned, Karapatan before, K-A-R-A, K-A-R-A-P-A-T-A-N. Sorry, I, I'm bad at spelling, but the thing is, the Philippine language is very phonetic, so you can just kind of sound it out. Um, uh, so, some other like news sources that aren't... Uh, more mainstream i'm trying to think yeah just just follow different philippine orgs like the sort of like left-wing youth organization like anak bayan which is very which is big like internationally i'm a member of ichirp the international coalition for human rights in the philippines uh dc-based organization that's affiliated called uh katarungan which is uh justice in tagalog um so definitely like look into those because they publish more and more uh sort of like news that keeps you up to date because there's things that are happening so fast like every day there's something new and i would like i mentioned it before i highly recommend like if you are based in the imperial core in the united states to please look into like uh things about the philippine human rights act being passed to end u.s military interfering and like sort of aiding and abetting of these extrajudicial killings in the philippines like this is something that people in the philippines like organizers in the philippines are asking people in the united states to support they want you to support that so that we can show real solidarity like it might seem kind of like like silly i know some people who like are burned out on electoral politics like i don't want to deal with my senator my congressman etc but like this is a real ask from people on the ground to, you know, if we want to help stop the killings, like one of the primary contradictions of the Philippines is U.S. imperialism. Right. Yep. And like, how else are we going to stop that? Like, because we're not ending the United States anytime soon. Right. Like, that's not something that's going to be accomplished. You know, uh, inshallah, we, we don't know. But like there since that's not happening anytime soon, like in order to stop this imperial meddling, one concrete way is to stop the flow of money and weapons to the Philippines and the Philippine human rights act is something that can hopefully achieve that. So look that up, you know, the PHRA Philippine human rights act. Yeah. Super important. You said that because we always talk about in our solidarity with struggles in these different areas, it's always important to uplift the voices in the trenches there. So as much of um, we support the, the Filipino American diaspora groups it's always important to support the people in the philippines and do and support them in whatever way they want um rob it's awesome having you because as we'll be say our um solidarity is international our struggles international and also rob i hope you realize that now you have no choice you are the officially unofficial fourth member of the podcast and this will 
in the future become a segment uh, whenever the fuck uh, we feel like uh, making a segment. Yeah, I mean, I had a good time. I also think it would be fun to have all four of us on here. Um, yeah, looking forward to it. And I, I, I miss T. I know y'all talking <laughs> shit, but I miss T. <laughs> um, yeah, whatever you say, man. Whatever you say. No, we love T. Um, cool. Yeah. Also, quick shout out on for more um, sort of insight into the Philippines. Um, Revel Revel Radio did an amazing interview episode about. Maoist insurgents and the history, um, the colonial history of the Philippines. So definitely check that out. That's sort of um, as much as I like to think that I know about the Philippines and the insight I have because, you know, third party, because my wife's family, whatever, that really opened my eyes to a lot of the nitty gritty that's going on over there. Um, so definitely check that out. But um, with that said, we'll wrap it up there. Um, unless either of you have anything else to say, we'll peace out there. And as usual, hasta la victoria. Cheers. <laughs>